0: Uh, essentially, this is going. To, th- this topic is a bunch of micro topics that are cobbled together by me, uh, and the the theme that they have in common is that these are what I have collected uh, reasons why we study Torah. Now, the word Torah is a big word. It, it, it's it's essentially referring to the you know the most. Intense and the oldest corpus of of knowledge and learning that we have, you know, it's it's the, it's the only uh, uh, multi thousand year old documents that are st- well not the only but it's one of the only uh, or at least maybe the oldest one that's still widely studied and still like the best selling book, you know. And not only the Torah when we say we Torah, we talk, when I say Torah is, is it's a word for all Jewish learning at large. So that would include uh, the oral Torah and all the various uh, uh, addendums that have been added to the uh, to the to the corpus of Jewish learning. It, yeah, that's what I mean when I refer to Torah. So, and this is something which we mentioned last week in great detail, but it's, it's very central to Jewish life. Uh, and also, we just celebrated the holiday of Shavuot or Shavuot a couple of days ago, and that's the holiday that we celebrate Jewish learning. That's the holiday that that's that's the holiday that commemorates. Uh, the day that we received the beginning of this uh, ever-evolving process of Torah study. Uh, So what I wanted to do is to try to illuminate a little bit, for myself but for everyone, a little bit of the value uh, that uh, we find in in, in Jewish writings that's accorded to this particular uh, activity of Torah study and how it affects a person. Because when we understand why we study Torah, we have a greater appreciation for, A, the historical significance of Torah in Jewish life, but also for us. Uh, You know, we do this every week. We do Torah study. We read the Parsha. We study uh, uh, Torah text. So whatever we do, we gain a renewed appreciation of the value and the impact that it it has on our lives personally. Uh, So I want to start with reason number six. I don't remember which ones we did last week. So, if I start doing ones we did last week, we'll just move on to the next mm-hmm. one. Well, why don't we say what well, one to five is? Yeah, so we started we did, off. Yeah, uh, last time. Yeah, Miriam wanted to do yeah. Yes. So, the, 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 <laughs> oh, that was great. <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's just start from reason six. There's <laughs> enough good enough reasons here because we could do the whole thing over. We'll be here till, till, till telecom. We'll start
1: discussing the first
0: five again. I mean. Yeah, so um, let You'll us. Never know the first five. Um, to achieve unbiased intellect. So, we didn't before, I think. Uh, so our intelligence is essentially a very, very important tool uh, for our lives. You know, why is that? Because our ten- intelligence essentially is what se- separates us from animals. You know, animals also have bodies and they can have babies and they can have, you know, they live lives and they, they're born and they're, they grow up and, you know, they have interactions and they die. You know, why are we different? Why are we special? Because we have intelligence. We have uh, the capacity for abstract thinking. You know, we have a soul as well. We'll get to the soul in a little bit.
2: See, Brad, you guys start at
0: seven.
1: Yeah, okay. we're actually we wrapping up. Oh, you started at seven. You didn't Yeah, you
0: didn't email? get the email. Yeah. So we have this tremendous tool that's going to help us in our lives. We're talking about the intelligence. Who's <laughs> everyone? All humans. Uh, now um if this is what makes us human well, among other things but one of the core tools that separate us from animals uh, and as we see like our decisions that we make in our lives hopefully should be grounded in in logic and reason and um, in understanding and intelligence you know, that that seems to be uh, the, the the best vetting process for decisions that we can make you know, that's why if someone is very intelligent well maybe they should be the ones who are deciding uh, policy because they're more intelligent and therefore they have a you know more capacity to make more decisions and take into account more variables etc but in our lives we, we make decisions you know what to do and who to marry and what to, the decisions and to change lanes or not to right these are decisions we make on a day-to-day basis uh, and of course life decisions so it's very important to have intelligence however, um, this idea we find in Jewish writing that, that this intelligence can be corrupted. And our tremendous power that we have, this great mind that we're all given, can be biased, can be partial, and therefore can uh, convince us that one thing is right and one thing is wrong. You know? So for let me just give you an example how, how how this works. We find a statement uh, in, in the Talmud that says, Ein lacha Ben Chorim you don't have a free man other than someone who studies Torah. Uh, so essentially what, what it's saying is, this is a mission of the chapters of the fathers. If you study Torah, you're a free man. If you don't study Torah, you're not a free man. And the question is, if you look at the Torah, you just try to organize it in very simple columns. What you find is things that are limiting. right? What do you find? You find restrictions, you find laws. I got to do this, I can to do that. Mind, right? So essentially, if someone who's studying Torah, odds are they're going to be less free, less flexible in making decisions and what to do. You know, that, that seems to, so it seems to be counterintuitive to say that someone who studies more Torah is more free. So this is a good question that we can ask. Uh, but I, I think perhaps the answer is that what the Torah does, the Torah um, is God's brain, so to speak. And therefore, we are uh, hooking our brain into God's brain, so to speak. We're trying to, 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 to create a synergy between our intelligence, our human intelligence, which is very fallible, to God's intelligence, which is infallible. And when we do that, and the more Torah we study, well, then the more kind of cleansed our brain gets, and therefore, the less likely it is to convince us of untruths. What do you say, Jeff? You have something to say? Yeah. Um, so thus, perhaps we could say that um, you know we find in, you know in some Jewish sources the idea of dat Torah knowledge of Torah, Torah brain, which essentially uh, the way it's explained is that you take your brain that you got and you kind of upgrade it. You you get the the, the premium package. Uh, you upgrade to pro a pro version. Where one point no. Exactly, yes. two point of the brain, <laughs> oh, no. uh, Where where your brain at, when it's uh, when it's uh, you know when you get it, it's it's liable to be dominated by all these other forces. However, once you kind of hook it onto God's brain, so, which is a crazy thing, like you're creating some sort of uh, of equilibrium between your brain and God's brain. That, that, that's insane. That's what it is. Like the more Torah study, the more you're trying to regulate your your your, your mind and your intelligence to God's mind, to God's intelligence, which is that alone is is a striking thought, uh, but that the, the 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 effect of that is is that you achieve unbiased intelligence, which I think is something that we um, we probably don't value so much because we're kind of okay with our intelligence. Uh, but in Jewish sources, this is a a a topic which is highlighted again and again. That is that a human could be convinced. Of, I'd like to just give you guys an example here. Like you know, I'm sure it's happened to all of us. Like you you're in a debate with someone. Be an argument or debate. And at a certain point in time, you realize that the other person is right. It doesn't happen that frequently to me, but um, it's a joke. Uh, but and then You're you right. still feel a need. <laughs> you still feel a need to kind of argue your point. I don't know if it's happened to you. There's this is yeah. urge that you get, yeah. to like, like to not to you know to you know to, to not give in. You know, yeah. the, yes, and and, and and then you try to prove it means. You still feel the need to kind of defend something that you know is wrong. Well, how does that work? How is your brain, which is designed, essentially, to try to clarify, and how is it trying to prove something which you already know, deep down, is wrong? Well, that's an example of a brain that went awry. A brain that's not, that's, you know, that's that's, that's that's biased. And if it's biased, one well, and if it has a, it, it starts with a predisposition towards one side, well, that's what you'll end up at. and therefore, <laughs> this this tool that you have will be underutilized. I'm trying to think of the right words, but there's, like some examples where you know where these poor
1: scholars,
0: it doesn't even take them like, that. but they're you know the people that stone and throw rocks. Yeah, that well, that's, cars. That's, Those are those are generally the, the those are not the scholars. <laughs> Trust me, I've been there. <laughs> those are not the scholars. Those scholars are are scholaring. All right. Scholars, is scholar. scholar. Scholar, yeah, uh, yeah. Listen, um, we even find this idea. I'll, oh, I, 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 I'll, 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 I'll say your point. We find this idea in the Talmud. Uh, the Talmud says that for some people, when they study Torah, nasa sam, samachaim. We mentioned this last week. For some people, excuse me, when they study Torah, it becomes in the of life for them. However, for some people, it becomes this poison. So I do think there is something true to what you're saying that for some people it's not so clear who fits into which category but for some people there is a potential of the torah to actually have a negative effect on them uh, and i think the pro, the the true the, the, the probable answer to that is how is when someone tries to use the torah from the begin, from, from the beginning to try to prove their point it means more well, not an ideology, oh, yeah, yeah. but using it as as what's described the Mishnah as a kardom lachvorbo, as as you you want to use the Torah as a a shovel to dig with to kind of prove your point. You know, if you are trying to shoehorn the Torah into your position, right? The Torah is, is you know that that's the you know that that that's the poison pill when you don't take it and let it influence you. Rather, you use it and contrive it in a way that'll you know it'll. It'll fit what you want it to fit with. So I think there is that potential, but but if someone approaches the Torah kind of honestly and tries to be receptive to try to understand it, you know, to try to understand it, not to try to use it, uh, you know, as a, as a pawn in, in 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 what you want, you know, in your agenda, right. uh, then uh, then I think it's less risk sure, of that. If we ask them, they will
1: say, you know, you are of course,
0: actually that's twisting also, that's also the Torah. So and, yeah. Is, uh, well, listen. There's always going to be the extremes of, um, you know, of, of, of any group. Uh, there's going to be the ones, and there's, we have, we've, we've all, I have all seen the pictures, but there's the pictures of the guys who were in the Strimals giving gahads and kisses to Arafat and Ahmadinejad. Have you seen those pictures? Yep. Yeah. Haginbol, everyone's seen those pictures, right? So. I yeah, know Oh, okay, so there's these people <laughs> oh. that look very religious, very observant. They have huge beards and payas and hats and furry coats and whatnot, and they're hugging and kissing uh, Ahmadinejad and they're burning Israeli flags and they're they're holding up Palestinian flags and they're praying by the tomb of Arafat, right? And the Arafat had a few of these guys on his cabinet. You know, these people outwardly look very, very observant. Like if you looked and looked, oh, this guy's a holy rabbi, when in fact they're just, you know, they're they're, you know, they're uh, they're traitors against their religion. That's what they are. Uh, but there's if there's twelve of them, that's all you need to fill up a picture to make them look really. You oh, know. So Rabbi uh, Akiva's students. You know, that's not really dramatic, right? That's like an example where they were like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, mean, I just don't know if uh, intelligence is the right word. Maybe, for what? Maybe. It's no, no I'm think, saying I mean, for this, I'm I'm am using that as Torah cleansed intelligence. Uh, you know that I think is is a good question. How in 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 Jewish in Jewish life we mourn those people. These are clearly great scholars. So I wouldn't I wouldn't go so far as to say that they that they were corrupted. Uh, it seems like the reason why they had to undergo what happened to them has more to do with. Um, the the kind of what's expected someone of their caliber. Either way, that's an idea. What do y'all say? Move on to the next one? You guys want sell that? We'll never get to number 23. I gave up. Yeah, just right now. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> 21 that's, that's
1: right. Uh, was was first that grave?
0: Yeah, he's a Jew, but he's a, he, like I said, he's a traitor to his nation. And you know what? If he was here, I would tell him straight to his face. Right? Jupiter because you may have some ideo- you have ideological hang-ups with Zionism or whatnot it doesn't mean that you go and fraternize with the enemy and go hard and kiss someone who blatantly uh, uh, and overtly and in front of everyone like calls the, the destruction. destruction and the slaughter of millions of Jews you know even if you don't like something if if, if if there's something wrong with the state of Israel, I think we're all in favor of the state of Israel. I'm make that assumption. If it's not, then <laughs> yeah, let me make that assumption. A safe yeah, that's I, a safe I, I think it's a safe, that's a safe right. assumption. Okay. However, is everyone here going to say that everything that the state of Israel has ever done is 100% correct? I don't think anyone's going to say that.
1: 110%. Yeah. Right.
0: Well, yeah. right. However, when Israel has its battles or with its enemies, we support Israel 100%. No matter what. Because that's family and that we're Jews and this is our state and this is what we support. So if you have some issues, and I know these people that are, I guess, uh, that that appear to be very, very religious Jews who who, who support the Arabs, uh, they have at their core ideological problems with the state. Okay, so what? We all agree that not everything that Israel does is 100% correct. Just because you have ideological problems with the state, should not translate into you befriending people that have lots of Jewish blood on their hands, like in the case of Arafat, or the people that want nothing more than to see the absolute destruction of the state of Israel and the murder of its citizens. So that's my point. My point is is that you well, have, you know, yeah, if the
1: have... worker's point, I you, you mean, intelligence or not, when you were uh, mentioning this case of, uh, you know, want to admit that you're wrong, and then you mm-hmm. will try to. Mm-hmm. The bias comes from probably more emotional side of your brain more than the, well, the intelligent. Well,
0: I, I think the big picture, of the bias comes from the fact that you that your soul is not in the whole position on deciding what you feel, what you think, right? Right.
2: So that's therefore, that's you
0: have this power, this tool that you're using for your benefit. I mean, your intelligence. But what's told, your benefit? Tells you right that
1: the others right. You already came to a conclusion. Mm-hmm. Now your feelings, your you know.
0: The, your ego I, is at play, or, and then you try to. And, and and I think it may be more subtle than than that, where you don't, you might not even know that your intelligence is corrupted. This is a case where we can still use the intelligence towards what we know is wrong. But I think there's other times where we don't even realize, at least at the time, that uh, that we're we're just we're just not talking absolute logic because of what we already want. I will give you an example. I, I, I've i countless times debated people about the uh, validity of the... or the historicity of the Torah. Countless times. And many, many times... Have you ever won one of those? One <laughs> Well, it depends. If which, <laughs> have you ever which, convinced the other side? Well... I have, I have, I've engaged I have, in those two. Uh, okay, we've had very, very compelling <laughs> arguments. However, I, there have been some times where uh, after copious evidence has been presented, someone would say, well, maybe all the Jews were on shrooms or hallucinogenic drugs. Right? I- I've been there okay. many, many times, which is which is someone saying, I am not willing to accept, no matter what evidence is brought to me, the fact that the Jewish people had this experience at Mount Sinai and that they had the manna for 40 years and that they had the water from the rock, despite the evidence. Well, maybe they just were all convinced. And how were they all convinced? Because they had the hallucinogenic drugs, right? the scripture does say they saw the voices. Well, okay. <laughs> they saw the voices, but the, the point is that so when that we on Shrooms four days, what is what is the the years,
1: years, And all the
0: people saw
2: the voices. Well, it it's, but really when
0: happens. it's described, it's describing their experience that they had at Mount Sinai, It's describing a a a, a paranormal, or metaphysical experience. Which oh, we said God it did, right? <laughs> they had prophecy. What does that mean? <laughs> you're not seeing things that normally could be seen or could be measured uh, uh, physically, empirically. Well, in which in
1: your happens, experience colors how do you view
0: the situation. But my, 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 my point that I want to bring is, is that this is not a logical argument. This is a last ditch attempt to try to posit something which is insane. Uh, to try to defend your position that you want. It's not a logical argument. What's more logical? That that billions of people all had a losing for 40 years or that, no, they actually saw what they saw. Well, that's obviously the latter is more logical. Right. Right. That's what you know, that's just like we don't say that uh, all the people that encountered Abraham Lincoln were on shrooms, you know. Right, we, we don't say that, right? Because it's not logical. You know, we have no record of that, and and you know, who's to say? Then every historical event that's ever happened could be could be just, Oh, maybe maybe they were all they were all just hallucinating. Yeah.
1: Well, people can be cool. I, mean,
0: in, I, I understand. But my my be... point is is that they're employing their logic to try to support before the Sinai their position before they, before they that have, they preselected before they with cockamamie the, the, theories. But
1: before they received the Torah, they didn't study Torah, <laughs> so they had biased intelligence.
0: Oh, I agree that some of the people also, look what happened. Some people happens. may be persuaded. Read the Torah the Torah, the Torah. the Torah outlines that even though that they've had tremendous experiences, still they were said, bring us back to Egypt. Well, what's that? Yeah, what's that saying. a manifestation of, right? Yeah. Uh, of not being, you know, of, of maybe being premature, prematurely elevated to a level that they weren't ready for. And at their core, they were just still, res- you know, defiant. Either way, I think my point We're is... Uh, still- <laughs> We're six, right? Shall we continue? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead.
1: That's just,
0: six
1: just six one six, thing. Could it be... <laughs> so to Here, Here yes. <laughs> 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 <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> it I am both of I take this seriously. Yes. You should know, man. No, you take it. me seriously? No, this. <laughs> not you. <laughs> right, nobody takes me seriously. <laughs> yeah, go, go ahead. Could it be that... High level in their Judaism uh, that they can forgive their enemy. I mean, without, without do to any personal feeling. Are you We're talking about,
2: about the
1: people that love the aircraft? Yeah,
0: I'm. I'm oh, too, you're just talking that. We we. I didn't even mean, no, no, no. know it there's existed. So, no, 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 man, yeah, keep yeah. is running. No, time, no, 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 no. There's no, no. Apps, okay, There's no, absolutely no justification. Yeah. Of getting uh, of, uh, of 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 siding with enemies of Jews, absolutely notification huh?
2: huh? Maybe they're
0: on shrooms. No, they're not on shrooms. They they are people that have uh uh that, that 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 have a divide between an ideology and the proper you know application of that. Just like we all say we support Israel, even though we don't necessarily agree with everything they do. So what? We, we don't say, oh, because Israel does X, I'm going to go and join the uh, ISIS, right? Yeah, that doesn't uh, make any sense, right?
1: One last comment on this. Go Remember ahead. during the Arab-Israeli war, the Israeli soldiers were saving Arab enemies by uh, international agreement. So it could it be the same thing. The what Like, during the war...
0: Palestinians, yes. Right? So it was everyone in the same part. Like, With that? that, that, that okay. no, there's guys, a, no, there's no. There's a. There's you gotta
2: see the pictures
0: and whatnot. Yeah. This is totally <laughs> you know, different. And okay. the pictures, it's the p- man, the pictures yeah, present the image voice. that kind of "quote unquote" the "quote unquote" religious Jews are supportive of the Palestinians. And like I said, it's only it's a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a one percent. It's like ten people. And they make a lot of noise because they have very long pace.
1: And he was a gesture more than I mean, I forgive
0: you for all like you have we do no Yeah, life. we don't, don't we don't, we don't, we don't forgive evil. Yeah. Sorry, we don't forgive Arafat nor Hitler nor Ahmadinejad. We don't words. we don't condone Mine. that kind of behaviour. Or Haman, that's right. There, or uh, there's a whole
2: there,
0: list. Yes. Well, I'm saying the tension, I think, is a good word uh, between religion and uh, uh, and and let's say the politics. Uh, the political tension exists between the religious and secular groups in Israel. As a very, very interesting topic, I actually spoke about it. It's on the it's on the list as one of the topics that we could talk about over here. Um, but it, that's a common a common perception. I would say there's various varying levels of that perception. Uh, but uh, there, and, and I mentioned this already. There are some religious Jews that uh, don't accept the legitimacy of the state of Israel uh, because of uh, religious or political reasons. Okay, uh, just like there were some Reform Jews. In fact, the majority of the Reform Jews uh, and the Reform uh, Reform Jewry at large, on, on a on a movement based level, did not accept Zionism at its inception. So ironically, at the formation of Zionism, the two groups that were uh, opposed to to Zionism were the Reformed Jews uh, on one hand and the very, very religious Jews on the other hand. Um, And obviously that kind of has merged where almost all the Jews today support the state of Israel. Um, That being said, even those that do support the state of Israel do question, some of them do question the legitimacy of the state. Uh, many of them based upon uh, famous Talmud in, 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 in the book of Tsubos. Uh, even those that question the state, there's those that say, okay, fine, there shouldn't be a state. We shouldn't vote. Some people say, oh, we don't vote and don't vote. You can't vote in the, the elections. And those who say, no, no, no. We we support and say We do participate. We do vote. We do vote. And there are others that say, no, we, we vote. And this is our state. This is this is the this is the uh, uh, the sprouting of the Messiah. There's a lot of different opinions uh, uh, scattered in that spectrum with the religious Jews and the state of Israel. But either way, only a very select few of them say, we're so disenchanted with the state that we're going to support the Arabs. And that's my point. I'm saying, yes, a lot of people have ideological hangups with the state. You know, we if all of us even here agree that we may have had an ideological hand-up with the state. That doesn't mean that you don't support the enemy. That doesn't mean, that doesn't justify that. Now, like I said, I agree that there, you know this, this is a very fascinating topic. Kind of the uh, historical responses the Jewish people had towards Zionism, and where it all came from, and the various different groups that Herzl tried to cobble together. Uh, where you know how he kind of collected ve- two very very different groups to kind of unite under the Zionist banner. You had on one hand the religious Jews that thought this was a fulfillment of the messianic era, and then you had. Um, the very, very secular, like like, uh, like Herzl, who didn't speak Hebrew or give his kid a brit milah, circumcision, or any, anything, right? Really? Um, Herzl, Herzl yes. Herzl's son, Hans, did not have, not a circumcision, not a, not a bar mitzvah. That's right. Um, and in fact, Herzl, 19, in 1890, a mere seven years before the uh, first Zionist Congress in Basel, he advocated that the solution to the Jewish problem should be mass conversion to Christianity. So Herzl's not someone that would... Herzl is not someone... Uh, that he, he advocated that the mass conversion to Christianity would be the only way the Jewish people, people integrated. Clearly, he's not coming from a very traditional... Adity. I said Herzl in 19, 1890 advocated that the only solution for the Jewish people's lack of acceptance and integration to European culture was mass conversion to Christianity. That's what Herzl wrote in 1890. So, Christianity... Clearly, this is not someone from a very, very traditional Jewish perspective. No one's going to argue that. Uh, but these two groups kind of merge. Not even reform. That's right. That's that's beyond <laughs> anything, right? Um, uh, his own children and his grandchildren uh, very, converted to Christianity. Christian. Uh, but either way, um, those two groups <laughs> kind of united under the one flagship of which is remarkable. Israel is the, kind of the product of those two groups, really. Uh, and I would say even today, even the today, huh? even today, songs? the various groups in Israel, you have the Mitnachlim and the, what's called the right and the, and the left wings of the, of the Israeli uh, of the populace. They're really essentially these two groups continually exist. You have those who say, we're not giving up an inch of the, of the land, right? Because this is our land. In their, in their minds, they're thinking about you know, the messianic perspective of, 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 of Israel and we're reestablishing sovereignty. And this is, you know, this is all kind of the religious Zionist perspective. And then you have those who are, quote, unquote, more pragmatic and treating our state as being no different than the other state. And uh, and therefore we should maybe negotiate either way so i don't remember how we got there but <laughs> we still we still yes yeah, so i would agree that there are a lot of a lot of religious Jews that have ideological problems with the state that doesn't mean that we go and join nationalist an that's my point regardless of whatever the reasons why someone would have an ideological problem that shouldn't translate into in, into supporting the enemy shall we okay thank you <laughs> uh, so let's move on to another reason why we study Torah. This is a uh, kind of an interesting reason. Doing... Oh yeah, do We reviewed
1: the first five. Yeah, and you two, were not here. Get him as anything. Two. I, was, I was here for the first five, but, <laughs> so it was okay. So you missed
0: number six. Yes. Number six was This uh, was uh, not Also, it was uh, kind of a run-up to this to this class, which is uh, why we study Torah. Different reasons why we study Torah. Okay, so reason uh, number six or seven—I lost track—to uh, empower and awaken the soul. Um, we find some very interesting sources uh, in in Jewish in Jewish writing about the nature and the status of a soul of an ishama before birth, and the most uh, striking one of those sources is in the Talmud in Nida thirty B. And it says that a child, when the child's in gestation, the child studies you know, the entire so Torah, tor- tor- Which is yeah, bizarre because... And then, you get the little thing, you know. and then as the child's about to be born, I might have mentioned this. Uh, the child's oh, about to be born. It's oh, well known. Okay, it's well known. Child's about to be born, an angel comes and hits him in the mouth and makes the child forget it. Everyone's, everyone's heard that before? Wait, if you haven't heard it before, you heard it now, right? Well this this is what it says. This is this is the Talmud in Either thirty B. A child in utero knows the whole Torah as he's about to be born, a child forgets the entire Torah. Okay? There's a
1: song uh really expresses the theme of why we the Torah. Mm-hmm. And every time I hear the word study Torah study the song goes through my head. Mm. Golly Golly, Eretz is Rowell, Billy Call High, he kicked the shock. Golly Golly Golly, Golly Golly, Golly 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 That's all I remember.
0: Mm-hmm. What does it say about the Torah study?
1: Well, it says that the State of Israel,
0: mm-hmm.
1: without the Torah, would be the same.
0: Individual without a soul. Mm-hmm. The body without a soul. Interesting. Maybe we have to add this onto the list that this I is say,
1: a twenty four. Twenty four. Twenty-four.
0: 24 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, we do find there's a uh, fascinating statement in where in one of the rabbis in the Talmud. It was Rabbi Zera. And it says it's talking about how we know that um Throughout history, there was the Jews were not always, uh, always, you know, entirely living in Israel. Uh, for the vast majority of our history, or at least you know, go, go back a couple thousand years, there was a uh, a, cent, a center of Jewish life and and scholarship in Babylon. And there was uh, over the time of the Talmud, hundreds of years of, throughout the Talmud, we talked about the exchange of ideas and individuals, you know, where they had you these two uh, concurrent uh, communities. One in Israel, one in Babylon, and then every once in a while, one of the scholars would go, you know, would travel to the other place, and they would always have this, uh, uh, this, this expression of ideas uh, of, 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 you know, being, uh, uh, being uh, traded back and forth. And it tells a story about this great rabbi who was in Babylon. Then he comes to Israel, and when he comes to Israel, it says the first thing he did, he started praying. What did he pray? <coughs> he prayed to forget all of his Torah. Which is bizarre. Like, why would you want to forget your great rabbi who was there? And then it's the Talmud says because he said he 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 reasoned. Ain Torah katorah Sarahs Israel. There's is no Torah like the Torah of Israel. He wanted to forget it all and start from scratch because there's something special about the Torah of Israel. <coughs> kind of a little similar to what you're saying that 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 that, that, that Israel has uh, uh, it, or it's a special place for uh, uh, for you know it's designed <coughs> or qualified, particularly qualified for Torah study. And, you know that's and that's what it's what it's all about to get to Israel and to study Torah in Israel that's the the ultimate very very interesting so we have this child in utero a child knows the whole Torah knows the whole Torah angel comes and makes him forget it uh, now there's a lot of very important questions we can ask number one okay if the angels are gonna make him forget it well why should the child know the whole Torah Which is a good question right if you're gonna forget it anyhow well then why study the whole Torah why st- if you knew for sure that in nine months the child is going to forget the entire Torah, why would you teach the child the Torah uh, and only to have the child forget it? Uh, additionally, this is more of a, of, you know, of just a uh, uh, of of, uh, of more of a textual problem because the Talmud sources that from a verse in Genesis. You know, any time the Talmud says a law or an idea it has to be a source for it. It has to show how this idea is reflected in Scripture. So it says, how is this idea reflected in Scripture? Where in the Torah uh, does it say anything that a child forgets the Torah as he's about to be born? And it quotes the verse in Genesis, lefetach chatas rovates, at the entrance, sin crouches. Thus, at the entrance, if the child's about to enter enter the world, sin is awaiting him. I guess the idea being that a child forgets the Torah, and once you forget the whole Torah, well, then sin can just happen. Because you don't know Torah, and how, how are you possibly not going to sin? That's, 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 that's what the source is. problem is, is if you, uh, if you look at a different part of the Talmud, the Talmud asks a different question. And it's talking about when does someone get a soul, and when does someone get a yetzerah? It's called the evil inclination. We spoke about it a little bit last week. And the Talmud uh, proves that the child gets the soul at conception. Okay, so at conception, child gets his soul. However, child does not get the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, till birth. And it says, how do we know that the child gets the Yetzirah at birth? And it brings the same verse in Genesis. the Shrovis, at the entrance, sin crouches. Okay. That's implying that as the child's about to be born, well, now they're going to have the Yetzirah, which is going to compel the child to sin. So sin is, they are awaiting him. What's the obvious question? If you have one verse, that says, sin crouches at the entrance. How could you possibly use that one verse for these two laws or these two ideas that the child forgets the whole Torah and that the child gets the eight Sarah? This is a question that everyone asks. Wait a minute. We know that one verse equals one law or one idea. You cannot use the same verse to teach you multiple laws. It's the same. Oh, yeah. How do you know that? How do you know that? So, one of the answers by the Maharal, the great uh, commentator from, who mentioned that there were thank you, from Prague, the uh, great uh, eight, 16th century commentator, he says like this, he said the child, really only one thing happens. The child starts off the conception and they have a soul. And the soul knows the whole Torah innately. The soul knows the whole Torah innately. And therefore throughout the gestation period, the child knows the whole Torah. Okay. As the child is about to be born, they get the influence of the eighth Torah, evil inclination. And then as a result of that, they forget the whole Torah. So essentially only one thing happens, you only need one verse. That's that's his answer. So, And this also answers our original question, is that it's not, it's not that we teach the child the Torah and then we make him forget it. It's that the child has a soul, has an neshama, and the soul itself knows the whole Torah. And we didn't teach it to him, it's the soul is just what he has, That's just the, the physiological makeup of, of of the uh, of 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 what a soul is, and then and that gets covered up, and that's, the influence of that gets reduced, it gets muffled, it gets muzzled, it gets uh, 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 beladen by the influence of of the of the of the um, of the, etzerah, the evil inclination, and then as a result of that, the child forgets it. Now, if we're to extrapolate this, okay, so what happens? Or what's our goal in life, if you look at it from these lens? We have this powerful soul, this tremendous influence for good within ourselves. However, it's it's buried under the mountain of the evil inclination. We have to burrow down and try to uncover that. When we study Torah, remember, the soul knows the whole Torah. That's what the soul is comprised of. We're essentially... Uh, where we're awakening the soul. It's as if the soul kind of hears this voice, and someone's talking in its mother tongue. It's like, imagine the soul being trapped under this monstrosity of the Yetzirah, of the evil inclination, and now it suddenly, it hears a little bit of the Torah, and it creates a link between someone's consciousness and someone's soul. And it, you know, makes a little ding, a little chink in the armor of this Yetzirah and it slowly mitigates the effect and the power of the Yetzirah, and it creates a bond between someone's consciousness and someone's soul. Go ahead.
2: Why do we give so much power to the
0: Well, you say we've got this mountain
2: of evil on top of the soul. Why, why do we...
0: Well, I wouldn't say that it has more power, per se. You
2: know, we're giving a lot of credence.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well. Okay. So the first, Again, the fir- the, fir- the first thing, good. the first thing that um, I want to mention, I know we mentioned this last week, that in, in, in Jewish in the midrash, uh, it's it calls the it,
2: it labels
0: the yetsirah we call the evil inclination exceedingly good. You guys do remember that we talked about that last week? Tov ma'od. It's very good because if not for the Yetzirah, if not for evil inclination, life would have zero meaning. Is that if everyone was inclined to do only good and had nothing trying to pull to do evil or bad or sin whatever you want to, right? if you had no influence not no drive to sin then would there be anything remarkable about the fact that someone didn't sin and someone did good of course not there's no friction there's no there's no tension you know there's, you know, there's no resistance to good thus, this yitzra, this reality, is the engine that drives everything. If we didn't have that, then what would our life really mean? It would just be perfunctory, doing what we're pre-programmed to do. This creates the struggle and the conflict that we all have in our lives, where we're torn. You know, We're torn between the body and the soul. We're torn between the and the Yetzirah Tov. We're torn between our, uh, our, pa, our, our desire for good, our knowledge of of, of the importance of good and our kind of materialistic or bodily uh, uh, attraction to to evil or to bad So it's not that the Almighty wants to make our life miserable wants to give so much strength to the quote-unquote evil side, the dark side. It's for us, this makes our life meaningful. If we didn't have this, our life would not mean anything. Humanity. All this wonderful... It's wonderful experiment of humanity. It's such a nice thing. We all we're all pretty happy with humans, right? Uh, that only has any value because of the Eitz It creates the arena for for life to have any meaning. Otherwise, we're all animals, you know. Animals they just live their lives and and that's it. They die and there's not no no super remarkable nothing. You know, no one accomplishes that much or or goes you know goes off. There's you know, there's no great evil animals. There's nothing remarkable. It's, you know, the life doesn't have meaning. So, so yes, on an absolute level, it's, it's bad because it's trying to compel us to sin. It's Sin's almost, a bad thing. It's almost not natural. To be
2: good.
0: Well, ye, I would say, I would <laughs> <Yeah>. say, <laughs>
2: by design. Yeah. By design, it's not natural. <laughs>
0: well, yeah, but, so now, Hitler was because, just following his natural... impulses. Well, yeah, let's not get Hitler involved here. Um, <laughs> you know. Well, I, I agree with what you're saying partially, because you say natural. It's not natural for... It's very, very, very natural for the soul to be good. And it's very, very natural for the evil nation to be bad. The question is, the human, kind of the melding of the two, the fusion of the two, is that is the human... Which way is the human leaning? So... Clearly, we have a uh, propensity to lean towards, or at least at the beginning of our lives, we start off being almost entirely under the dominion of our body or slash the Yisra. Uh, the question is, is that, uh, well, then it has to be like that because remember, if, if, our, if, our, if it was equal, if it was balanced uh, entirely, like it was just exactly 100% equal, uh, then everyone would do good because good is good. And you are equally attracted to it, so it's either or. It's uh, about the, the
1: height of the mountain, there is this concept of that God gives you the right amount that you need, mm-hmm. not more, no less. Mm-hmm. Like the story of yourself with the fragrance and someone like
0: he was taking being slave. Right. Well, yeah. Well, that that's kind of more what we're talking about retribution. and of being but a consumer the, of, of evil, as to of being influenced, uh, uh, right amount, not more. Yes, yeah, so so yes, it, it's 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 formidable, the mountain, but it's still conquerable. But it, but you're right. It's not natural for us to do good because the 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 breakdown of the of what we feel and what our uh, Attraction towards the "quote-unquote" evil is much stronger than attraction to good, because otherwise, if they were imbalanced, if they were entirely balanced, everyone would do only good, and then you lose this whole engine, this whole meaning that we. But if they were totally balanced, why do you say? Do you do you? Well, because because you're, you're equally you no what no what you're equally bad. driven towards both of them, but we know that doing good also stirs your, you know, stirs your soul as well. It's like we know what's good and what's bad. That that's not the question. If you knew what was good and what's bad, and you're equally driven towards both of them. So it has to be that you know that good is good and you know that bad is bad, but you're more driven towards bad and that creates that. Uh, I'll, I'll wrap this up really nicely. It's a nice little bow. Uh, we find another statement, another instruction in the chapters of the Fathers that says, have a ruts, the mitzvah k'al um, you should chase after an even a, 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 a simple mitzvah or a complex or hard mitzvah. And and run away from sin. Which seems to indicate, you know, exactly like what we this this model that you have to run away from sin. If you're just sedentary, if you're not doing anything to counteract that, then the sin's chasing after you, so sort speak. Of but the mitzvah, you gotta chase it down, it's running away from you. So that that, that that's the reality where the mitzvah is running away from you and the sin is chasing after you.
2: Change your right.
1: question. Yeah. You said that, that for every for thing in the Talmud there is a reference in scriptures. and mm-hmm. you said um, that this Neshama is put at conception. Where that where
0: is that coming from? Uh, that comes from well first from my remember, if I remember correctly, it's it's actually a debate between Antoninus and Rebbe. Antoninus is uh the last time I said was Marcus Realis Antoninus, and says, Whoa, I don't know for sure. But it, most likely Marcus Realis Antoninus who was the uh, who was the uh, right last time I said that you jumped to me? Okay, so um, he Don't make is the same the, mistake. right. So <laughs> most likely, according to most he scholars, is, he is the Roman emperor who uh, assumed emperorship in the year one sixty one. I know we went through this last time. Uh, he's called uh, he's called Antoninus in Jewish writings, uh, and that's his uh, his I guess his Roman name or whatever. Uh, but in 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 uh, Wikipedia called Marcus Aurelius and then Antoninus in parentheses I don't know. Uh, we call Marcus Aurelius, but his no. I guess his name that he was called at the time was was uh, Antoninus. Right from yeah. going to say that. Oh, that's letter. Okay, so so uh, he yeah. has there's several times in the Talmud that he has debates or discussions with Rabbi Judah the Prince, who is the Prince of the Jewish people, the head of the Sanhedrin. And uh, the pivotal figure of the Jewish people in the second half of the second century of the Common Era. And one of the discussions that they have is, well, when does this person get the soul? And 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 Rabbi, and Rabbi Judah the Prince agrees to Antoninus uh, because Antoninus originally he brings a um, a, a, a logic a logical response, and he says, he says, is it possible to have a slab of meat and not salt it for three days, and it shouldn't spoil? which, say, well, we us talking about meat here, <laughs> right? But it means is that just like <coughs> the piece of meat is, is not going to maintain its vitality, its life, so to speak, unless you preserve it, so too the human, or whatever the human is, the zygote, uh, at conception, it's not going to have any vitality, it doesn't have a spiritual power uh, linked to it as well. And then Rebbe also brings a verse. I forgot the verse he brings. It's in the Kiddush, It's in Sanhedrin 91b, <laughs> no.
1: no, it's incorrect.
0: Uh-huh. I don't remember which one it is. If I remembered, I would just tell it to you. But yes, there's a verse. There is a verse. But it comes from um, the. the yeah, written, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it must yeah, be yeah, a super yeah, 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 word or something.
2: Yeah yeah, 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 yeah,
1: And the other one is the. You know, abortion is not strictly
0: permitted. Uh, when I spoke about abortion, I, I mentioned this as an indicator that. You know, maybe abortion the laws of abortion maybe shouldn't take into account, but the, the even the zygote has a soul according to that may not mean anything, but it, it's something it's something at least for the discussion,
1: right? Because this is opposite of right when yeah. the head comes out and right, all this right. discussion
0: about what is this? What is this? Are you found it here. Yeah. Oh so there we go. Uh, and he brings a verse. <laughs> he brings a verse from Job, Job ten, twelve. The verse. Okay. <laughs> so first, he brings the proof of the uh, of the three days of animus. So what does it
1: say that that pasuk? Lost it. The one that Job you just. 10, wrote. <laughs>
0: What it what it means probably from the from from the mishat pichida which means conception, then he had the ruhi which means the spirit. So He had the spirit from conception. Good. So, either way, um, if we have the soul, and it's it's almost inaccessible to us. It's so distant from us. You know, like I li- always like to give this example. That we don't, we're not linked in a sensory way to our soul. We're linked to our body in a sensory way. You know, we feel uh, what our yetzara or body wants us to. You know, you you eat the popcorn, you feel it. You know, but you do a mitzvah, you don't feel it. You may feel it on more of an emotional level, on a spiritual level, on a more uh, uh, kind of. A, uh, I used, to I, I huh? I
2: used to say that's not? Who's to say that's not the soul? Sorry, what's not the soul? There's
0: emotions of what of emotional feeling of doing something good yeah you know, I, I think yeah. it is I, I i agree but it's not a sense i agree i agree that we do we can feel it a little bit but it's it's, it's on this it's other level it's not it's not like on a sensory level it's not on a basic level it's a, more of a you know some transcendental level we feel it you know it, it's a good there's a, there's a good feeling of doing something good you know you you cannot measure it you can't taste it you can't it's, it's not as closely linked as the physical sense so i agree that you feel it and because you do have the souls that this 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 is this is the glass of water for the soul this is the popcorn for the soul this is ice cream for the soul and the soul is still within you but it's not as tangible as the uh, as the feelings that we have when our body gets tantalized so um, and studying torah is one way to, to create this link so you're doing something that that your soul is suddenly awakened and it's empowered and it's it's cleaving away a little bit at this barrier and trying to you know recreate this unity between who we are and the power of our souls. Okay, let's move on to the next one. What do you guys say? <laughs> what is it? Uh, Seven, eight. Uh, well, I, I think we kind of did this last week. Yesera, uh, we did it. So okay. let's move on to number ten here. Oh, to nine. Seven, eight. Ah. <laughs> So, we have two problems uh, with our, well, more, problem, more than two problems with our religion, but two problems with our theology or our, you know, kind of relationship with God. Well, we have one problem and one kind of major problem. One, one, one more theoretical problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, problem number one is that we find in the Shema. The Shema is the Pledge of Allegiance of a Jew. We make an declaration of faith. And then we have a verse that I'm sure we're all familiar here. And the verse in English says, you should love your God, the Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, right, with all your hearts and with all your, with all your souls and with all, your, with all your resources, or so however you want to translate, Moedekha, resources. Uh, what it's telling us is not just understanding God or agreeing with God or agreeing to the idea not being an atheist, Telling us also that this has to translate into an emotional phase as well. It, it, it's, it's demanding of us to uplift our faith from a intellectual kind of reality that we can accept, that we can prove, we can bring evidence to, or we can understand, to an emotional level, to love. Now that is a very very steep demand. Right? We're telling us that this idea of God, especially the Jewish God, which is very distant from our understanding. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm saying, but the Jewish <laughs> definition of God, the Jewish definition of God, it, it's not something tangible. You can't see God. You can't you can't interact with God. You have no interface with God. You're physical. You're finite. God's infinite. You have no. You have no. You have no. Really, have no. Uh, have no interplay with God. You know, no, no, there's, there's no there's no interface that you have with God. It's not like something that you could see or touch could, or could you know have any sensory understanding uh, uh, of God. And we're supposed to have an emotional connection with that? What's the deal? Like, how is that? And that's demanded of us. And that's, that's, we, see, we all say, it's a verse that we say, it's part of our reason. How could the Torah reasonably demand of us not only, well, I can understand maybe to, to accept God, but to translate that into an emotion, into an emotional connection with God.
1: There are two things. One is to relate something finite with something infinite. And mm-hmm. The other one is to force somebody to love.
0: something. Okay. Right. Which which you, you could argue that wait wait a minute it's, you know ooh, love either happens or it doesn't happen right. <laughs> um, uh, so that's the problem. I think that the more the more ver- but also like e- even just to have some sort of interface with God, like even to understand God, like we have a hard time understanding God. You know and and. How do we approach that faith that it should be real with us? You know, how do we have a tangible and real feeling of faith uh, with the God that we cannot even really wrap our heads around? The idea of something existing outside of time and space is a very hard thing for humans to wrap their heads around. The idea of an infinite, of, of not limited in any way, like that that's something which is very hard for us because we're wired to not understand that wired to see the world and that there's time and space and you can't exist if physical no time and space. But, well, the Jewish definition God says that God does exist outside of time and space. And God, you know, we're fine, God's, you know, God's infinite. So we're supposed to understand that, but how do we do that? So these are kind of two questions, two problems. One of them is kind of a how how is it demanded from us to have an emotional connection with God? And additionally, just the idea of, of understanding and interacting, not interacting necessarily, but Having a real, uh, genuine, sincere, tangible faith with the definition of God that we, that, that you know that we're that we working with, so uh, we find a tremendous insight in the in the words of Maimonides. Uh, Maimonides tells us in uh, Maimonides wrote many books. Uh, one of them is called Sefer Hamitzvot. The Maimonides says we you know the decision of thirteen mitzvot. Everyone knows that. What's one? What's two? What's three? What's four? And what's six thirteen? And you know what? I'll do it in order of importance, which is my mother is like Joe. I'll tell you. Not only will I tell you them in order, I'll in the, I'll tell you which is in, which is out, so to speak. But I'll tell you them in order of importance, which is to show off. which is incredible. Like you have the book of the Chinuch that we mentioned last week, the book of education. That also is a book that's written on the 613 mitzvahs. He counts the mitzvos, and in fact, he doesn't use his own counting. He just piggybacks on Maimonides' countings. But he starts from Genesis and moves on and goes throughout the Torah. Maimonides is starting in order of importance. Right. On the first mitzvah is the most important one. And the second mitzvah is the second most important. The third is the third most important one. And maybe perhaps also the last one is, you know, it's an order of importance. And by the way, Maimonides' magnum opus, the Mishnah Torah was written the same way. Starting from the most important mitzvah, it's the least important mitzvah, seemingly. Well, not least important mitzvah, but you know, in a, in descending degree of importance. What's the sixteenth, thirteenth mitzvah? What's the stuff from <laughs> the more important ones? Um, so what's the so so the first mitzvah obviously is to have faith in God. I think that's you know fair. That's obviously you don't have that, then you don't have anything. Uh, but the third mitzvah is to love God. Obviously the myths of loving God is not something which is, you know, it's, it's it's not something which is kind of an afterthought. You know, it's something very important. And he sell, tells you, how do you love God? How he asked our question, how do you love God? And he gives us this right, this you know, if if we had to all guess, if we just went around the room here and said, Okay, what do you think he's gonna say? I don't think anyone will get within miles of what he says. Which we, now maybe you will Chocolate
1: flowers. <laughs> I didn't know he, so he ordered them in the order
0: of importance. Well, it's nowhere is it explicit, but it's it's heavily implied. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to
1: jumble it up, but I, I didn't know the word. Okay. The, I thought in you order can of importance, you couldn't determine which one yeah. is you know more important, important. than the other one. I never heard that before. Like, oh.
0: Well, okay, well, but if, if we if we if we read it, it's clearly. Design means I don't think it's explicit in any of Maimonides' writing, he doesn't write that, but it's heavily, heavily, heavily implied. You know, what's the first thing that it tackles in, in, in the matter? It's in the it first thing is the Torah, foundations of the Torah. And then either, you know, the, five, the, first, the first book of the Yadah deals with five laws, laws of um, the foundations of Torah, which is like our theology, prophecy. Uh, free will, that's what he's tackling, uh, the laws of Torah study, the laws of idolatry, and obviously repudiation of that, the laws of character, and the laws of tshuva, of repentance. Clearly these are big, big, big topics, macro topics. By the last thing that he does talk about is the laws of Mashiach. Right now it's the laws of Gentiles, which I always said. He's writing a book for Jews and he's telling you that, the mo- that more important than the more important than studying Mashiach, because you should know what even Gentiles mean to do, which is I think mean, very interesting. Because he, and he even tones it down in his uh, two or three chapters that he writes about Mashiach. He tells you don't think about this too much because this could make you draw a little cuckoo. <laughs> uh, either way, so how do you how do you love God? I guess studying Torah. So what he's he <laughs> not only that he says he gives a four four pronged process. He says we study Torah. Or study science. And be misboned, Right, Be misboned is to contemplate. But well, what it means is, it means to study Torah intently. Uh, until Ad she until you have an insight, an incredible insight, in either Torah or science. And then you should have pleasure in this insight, in this achievement, which is the highest level of pleasure. That's what we've loved God. How did he define science that he, oh, he was The science. Oh, yeah. Um um the handiwork of God. Oh, so science installed the phone. Handiwork. The handy work? Yeah. of God. That's right. But you're He's a handiworker? A- <laughs> manny? No, but the, no the, but- the, the um, Torah, thus, well, 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 we get to, to your point in a second. Torah and science share um, a commonality according to the Rambam. Right? We would argue that Torah is God's mind, and science is what God created, God's handiwork, and these two are quote-unquote intermediaries that we could use to understand God. We have a hard time understanding understanding Torah, uh, understanding God Himself. However, once we dip our toe into the dizzying uh, complexity of Torah or the dizzying complexity of science, and the deeper we go, the more we see, the more we learn, the more we realize how little we knew earlier, which is is the pattern of of scientific discovery and and of Torah discovery. It's always exactly the same. And then you dig yourself deeper. And the more you know, the more you realize how little you know. That process opens up to something amazing beyond... What you, what you, what what you can imagine, and when that moment of awe of the realization of the vastness and the complexity of God's handiwork and God's mind, those bring you to a, a certain degree of perception of what of, of God Himself, and that because uh, and that also translates into a uh, into an emotional reaction, this, this deep pleasure that you get, and thus. This this are this this reason number ten is that via the Torah study and science as well, uh, but Torah study is a way to really understand God, and to understand God uh, uh, on the scale that we're talking about, which is not really a scale because it's it's that's the whole point. It doesn't scale, right? Uh, but the idea of infinity of something not having any limitations is something we find in the Torah and science as well, on a small degree, but but and that we use to understand. Insane, a small doggie, a god himself um, But I would argue still. <laughs> I would make that argument I'll, still. I'll let you go with that. One. No, I will <laughs> still make that argument. It's not what I meant. <laughs> um, for example, I'll give you guys an example. What we find, um, first of all, <laughs> the way the Torah is described in Scripture itself is that it's infinite. You know, it's broader than deeper than the seas. Um, additionally, we find this great, great story about Rabbi Akiva. This is in the book of Vamo's. 15, I think, 15a. Uh, there's this... I don't want to get you the whole story. It's a fascinating story, but uh, we're a little bit strapped for time. But either way, someone, Rabbi Ativa, the great scholar uh, of, of the Mishnah, he mm-hmm. uh, meets someone, and the guy is starting to talk to him. And the guy realizes, he asks Rabbi Ativa 300 questions, 300 unanswerable questions, Rabbi Ativa answers them one after another. Then... He says to him, Oh, you're the famous Rabbi famous Rabbi Akiva. You should know that even though you've studied so much Torah, you're no better off than a shepherd of big animals. Of like livestock. And Abakiva responds to him, No, 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 you're wrong. I'm no better than a shepherd of small animals. That's mm-hmm. the exchange. Uh, which if you read it, it seems obviously bizarre. But once when you understand it, what it's saying is like what it seems to be saying is that. Rabbi Kiva was also a humble person. And he said, Well, I'm, I'm, I'm even less than what you think I am. You think I'm little? I'm even less. That's, I think, the simplest way to understand it. Uh, but I, I think what it's really trying to tell us is, is the lesson about Torah. Rabbi Kiva had a tremendous understanding of Torah. And this story demonstrates it. He did 300 unanswered questions, he answered them boom, 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 one after another. And he was the undisputed master of Torah. He had a more of understanding of Torah. Than anyone around. The person told him, by the way, you should know, you have a tremendous understanding of Torah, a relatively tremendous uh, understanding of, of Torah. However, in relationship to the total capacity of Torah understanding, you're 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 nothing more than a shepherd of big animals. And Rabakiv responds to him: No, 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 the Torah is even greater than what you think. He wasn't lessening his own perception, saying, No, no, no. The Torah is even more vast. Thus, my understanding in respect to uh, to, to, to the total, uh, the you know the total you know value of Torah or knowledge of Torah is even smaller. You know, not because it's on an absolute level, but on a relative level. That idea uh, is 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 that you find uh, when you study Torah that the more you know, the more you realize how little you know. And I, I find it fascinating where you have some guy, some like a uh, twelve you know, year old kid who's who maybe could over, uh, you know, thirteen verses in uh, in, in Leviticus. That like kid knows, that's it. I did my Torah, right? I'm done. You know, I'm, I'm free to go now. Yet you have uh, maybe a, a scholar or a sage who studied Torah his whole life and has done. You know, has gone through the entire Talmud multiple times. And every time, every time they go through, they find more stuff. And and and, and they know they they themselves feel like they know nothing, which is an irony that you find. Um, thus, the Torah and science as well. Are ways that we could really understand God and now understand it on a real level and even on an emotional level. Yes, we could be, we could give good definitions of, the Torah, of God. We could understand it, you know. We, you know, we could, we could have it defined to us. That that does work. However, the Torah opens up an avenue for us to understand it in a much deeper and even an emotional level as well.
1: So, in this context, the bottom line is: understanding means loving.
0: No, I I, I said uh, I, so. I separate them as as, as to be mutually exclusive. Um,
1: the question is how how do we log? Yes, I mean, yes.
0: So, love? so 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 that's how when this when this <laughs> devotion towards the Torah or even the science um, that brings this insight that you know that tra- that's that's expressed in the, in a, in, a, in, a, in a pleasure that Imanis talks about as the greatest pleasure ever, um, and and that's 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 the emotion. But
1: that kind of. Feeling is an ephemeral kind of thing, and when you realize, oh, get it, and it goes away, you're <laughs> to the next problem.
0: Uh, oh, okay. So, so then, I maybe, don't think it's referring well, to that kind of love. But then that, maybe we yeah. haven't gotten it yet. The, you know, if, it's, if it doesn't if it doesn't fit into the qualifications, maybe we're Are not you there yet. Because you want the floor? Oh, no. Maybe. Maybe there's 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 levels. Maybe maybe that, that that you know you get a small taste of that, and then maybe the last you makes you feel good the whole day, and that's great. You know, but maybe sometimes when you go back to what you you know wrote in uh, in college when you spent uh, I don't know six months on a problem, maybe that kind of you could relive that that mm-hmm. that same wonderful pleasure. Maybe it's a preview of the olam like That's <laughs> you're taking it a step too far, but you're right. <laughs> you took the words out of my mouth yeah. literally. <laughs> I not really not not in my mouth because I wasn't planning on saying it. I took it out of my my head <laughs> because you, there's a whole topic about this. But you know how Lama my describes it as the greatest pleasure that ever existed, mm-hmm. and then he describes it the same way. And then wait a minute, it's Bob, what about is it in this world? He started talking about this world. You know, yeah. this may be some sort of portal to that kind of pleasure, which is interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Either way, that's number ten. Welcome to the level, guys. <laughs> what do y'all yeah. say? Intermission. We're we'll gonna be until twelve, I midnight. Mean, <laughs> somebody check, somebody check the scores for the Rockets game for everyone else. Oh, partner. No, I was joking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, Moving on to number creating new worlds. So what was number 10? Fifty-two, forty-six. Uh, to <laughs> bring us, to bring us to at halftime. Okay, it's at halftime, guys. We could. Um, to bring us to love of God and yes. to bring us up to, to a certain higher level of faith and comprehension of God as well. Our oneness of insight is equated to love. That's what you're. No, I'm saying it could even bring about to that level. It, means it could even it could even bring. I'm saying it's going to give us a great appreciation of faith and even potentially to an emotional Yes, which, which is what we say with love of God. That's right.
2: And the science, after your explanation, it seems more of an analogy to me than a literal study of science. in that the scientist going down a path, the more he learns, the more he realizes he doesn't know. It's but also it's an opening of an of an expansion. You know, the, the expanse of what's out there. The expanse of.
0: What's out there or what's in there? You know, there's two ways to do it. What's out there in the cosmos, or what's in there in the cell, right? Both of them the same. Like both of them are equally vast. Um, but so what are you saying?
2: Uh, <laughs> uh, what's out well, I, there? So, yes. well, I think he 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 may have been referring to science just because he was a scientist. But anybody in any field, the more they study, the more they realize there's more to learn. Mm.
0: That's not what I'm saying. What are you saying, Jeff? Yeah, yes. But what are we discovering? We're discovering what was really there. It's not like DNA was invented in the 50s, right? You know, the name was always there. It's, it, you know, right? Huh? It, it, we're discovering what was already there, what got put there.
1: There's this analogy. the Philosophers of science, like Karl Popper, they describe this process of scientific discovery as a, as a circle. When you know more, you expand the circle. Now, what you don't know, which is the limit, grows too. So The more you grow the body of knowledge... The more, yeah, you, the, the, more, the more you know what the boundary is, the more you know what you don't know. and There's no limit to this. So the more you, the more areas, I mean you, you can see in science all the areas that appear and every area there are like millions of questions that we don't know. And then when you grow, you grow more areas where you don't know millions of answers.
0: And there's the still a inside. lot more room to run, you know. We have something called a brain. It's a three pound organ in our skull. And we know very, very, very little about it. Uh, like what we know is from what lights up when someone has certain emotions. Like that's all we know. We have we know, we know the weight. You just said it. Okay, the weight, and we know where it is. <laughs> <laughs> so we have given <laughs> really hey, hey, nice. Hey, hey, hey. I mean, you, you, uh, I think the point that I'm trying to make, I have an example. My grandfather, he, there was a guy like, in and he was talking about a else. But it's, uh and So we can say that oh there was some miracle of God that he survived, or there could be some
2: medical explanation to why it happened. But that's that. You, that,
0: so that but it's you know, uh, because you don't know what the reason is. Yeah, but yeah, God but I'm I'm, I'm, I'm I'm that's not what I'm saying. I'm yeah. saying God's intervening in science. No, no, I'm saying yeah, just even just the realities that's there that, that you know that are demonstrably there. Well, how they get there, right? So we say that it, if you believe in God, then you believe that God. Creator, right? That's what that's what it means to believe in God, right? Thus, he created a very complex world within our bodies. Like you, like you mentioned, it's very complex. Uh, our brains and our cells, and hundreds of trillions of cells and whatnot, all being perfect. And our livers and our hearts—it's very, very complex. And you know, and you go to this—you uh, know—the any any realm of of science, it could be in, in the earth sciences or the physics uh, or in the astronomy. Um, they're all. Uh, portals to see complexity of creation. That's all I said. I'm not saying that. Oh, every time it's God intervening, it's you know I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I didn't say that. Um, yeah. you now I'm, I'm not sure if I, I agree with that. That's a big debate, you know. Is there any well, uh, room for uh, for for s- for rest. for the you know for another the? Night. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a well, maybe another few nights, but uh, um, but the, the that's a good argument that that we could have. Uh, this, you know, is there some things that just happen? Someone gets sick and they just get well, you know? Uh, but, you know, I, I think like why that the... Right, is that surface pre-programmed surface. or not? Right, that's... that's okay, well, there's a lot of actual explanations. Yeah. You know yes. is the sun. Yeah, does the sun actually rise? Or is the earth? Hmm. Why, 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 why,
2: why does the... actually
0: we some beers?
2: <laughs>
1: and you're in the earth. I thought Argentina was the, galaxy. <laughs> the universe the universe yes.
0: <laughs> how do you get um, really here Right. I, I wasn't saying what you said I was saying I'm not trying to defend what you said I was saying I'm not trying to or repudiate what you said I was saying but either way, that was my point. The point is, is that these are areas of complexity that could bring us to God. Was it? You know, um, another example, Maimonides, when he talks about in the beginning of the laws of idolatry, he gives a very interesting history of idolatry and also a history of monotheism. He talks about how Abraham used science, what science means is uh, observing and interpreting and uh, analysis of physical phenomena—that's sort of what science means. He used that to reach God, reach an understanding of God. So that's an example that we could still use. Shall we? Uh, number that's eleven. That's an interesting. Please?
1: That's actually an interesting point for another. Mm-hmm.
0: Abraham, How many more nights nice do we science, have? The uh, scientist. Yeah. Abraham the scientist. Okay. So what's number eleven? Study Torah to fix. We are all born into a world with a mixed bag of positive and ne- negative character traits, or in Hebrew, midos, or the Roman calls it deos. These are, you know, how we behave and how we interact. Yeah, behavior or character or character traits—you know, different words for the same thing. Um, but this is obviously of you know some people are more patient and some people are less patient. Some people are more quick to anger. Some people you know a little bit more mellow, and some people are more generous, and some people are more you know etc. etc. With every area, there's maybe hundreds or even thousands of different areas in in where in where some people naturally excel and some people naturally have uh, have room for improvement. Um, and the discovery of or the cataloging of someone's own personal portfolio of positive negative character and subsequent fixing of the character is a major major theme in Jewish life as I even mentioned the Rambam we talked about it in the five sections that he tackles in the first book right uh, the important sections of, 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 of Jewish life arguably and that is one of them is a whole section on fiction character it's very very important we you know Abraham is is presented as someone who excelled in character right? and it's no, it's no secret that he has such an important place in Jewish life maybe those two things are linked and Moses is the most humble man that ever lived it says that and we know that his role is a very important role you know it doesn't and it's, it doesn't seem that it's to be incidental that he was humble. The great great people in Jewish life are are the people that have accomplished in conquering their character, in overcoming their character, in perfecting their character, fixing their character, cleansing their character, purifying their character. Right? Now how do we do that? How do we go about doing that? So we find a statement in, uh, in the book, uh, the Mishnah, in Paya. Paya is... Uh, a uh, section of the Torah talks about what to do with the corner of your fields. And You guys all look like farmers to me. Uh, so we, you know, in Jewish, we know that in Israel, there's uh, when agricultural laws in Israel that when you have a field, you have to leave the corner of your field to the poor person. So that's that's the myth of the Torah. Uh, and there's an entire book of the Mishnah written about it. The first mission starts off uh, with um, these are the things that someone right, enjoys the fruits of it in this world, and but the principle remains for the world to come. And that gives a whole list of these wonderful things that someone could do in this world, wonderful mitzvahs that someone could do, that they get the fruits of that in this world, however, the principle is for natural. What does it mean, the fruits? What does it mean, the principle? What does that mean? What do you get the fruits? Benefit, right? right, so so there's the, well, the fruits are more like the ancillary benefit. If you own a tree, then you own the tree, right? But the fruits are kind of like uh, the the annu- annuities of, of the tree. It's, it's, it's still not the principle, but it's something that's a nice benefit. Uh, so, uh, one of the uh, commonly accepted uh, understandings of that Mishnah is... That the fruits are the positive qualities that are engendered with those mitzvahs. For example, honoring your parents is one of them. You Honors your parents, well, then they become more appreciative. What it means to honor your parents it means to recognize what your parents do for, them, for you. They become more of an appreciative person. You recognize what someone does good for you, and you reciprocate. Right? Uh, uh, one of them is to bury the dead, right? engage in taking care of, of, of the dead person. Well, what is that? That's chesed, that's kindness. Why? That this is the kindness, which is the purest form of kindness, because you don't seek to get anything back, right? When you, when I, you know, when I help Diego, I'm thinking, well, if I have an issue, I'll call him up. If I need to translate something (laughs) into Portuguese, I'll call him up. Sorry, Uh, Spanish? Whatever, Castellano. (laughs) That was borderline offensive. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) He will tell his wife. His wife is from from Brazil. So, you know, when I'm, I'm nice to Ben, I'll say, well, my air conditioner goes down, I'll call him up for (laughs) advice, Right? All kindness that we do with people that are extant, we could have underlined, uh, you know, uh, motives, thank you, uh, for our for our activities. When you do kindness to the dead person, you know, unless the family's watching maybe, but you do kindness to the dead person, that, that's it. You know, you're know, you doing it just to become a kind of person. Well, it's a mitzvah, a buried that is a mitzvah, and it's also, it changes who you are. It gives it more examples. It's waking up in the morning to go to pray. Well, you know what happens when you have to wake up in the morning? you wait. Right. you want to hit the snooze button a few more times. And you want to say, Let me be a little bit lazier, let me, I can five more minutes, right? Five more minutes, five eight. more minutes, and that accumulates. Eight more minutes, you have eight, the the is eight. Nine. nine, you can continue. So, and then what does someone who says, I'm getting up, what does that mean? That means that they're overcoming their laziness. So, yes, it's a mitzvah on its own. <laughs> sorry. And it's a mitzvah on its own, but there is a ancillary benefit that you get. And the last thing, the Talmud Torah Tenegei Kulam. The Torah study equals, is, is, is equal to all of them. The whole list. Thus, it's, it's, it's telling us that Torah study professor our character more than anything else. And so it's a mitzvah. So you can snooze. If you yeah, well, it's, in out. your sleep? <laughs> it's, yeah. You study Torah in your sleep? Now, um,
1: but you also, I mean, if you learn Torah, you know that every mitzvah will have a reward,
0: mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. But some of them don't affect you in this world.
1: I mean, even if you do a mitzvah for that person, that's true. You still still know if you know if you don't know the Torah, then you will be doing truly altruistically. But if you know Torah,
0: you know, you hover more. So, this is another 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 night. This is something is altruism? Well, what if? Yeah, I think it's a good thing. Is 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 doing something for a Lama Ba? Is that altruistic or not? Is that Lashma or not? Right, but
1: if you don't know Torah, it's a good
0: question. I think it's. I think it's. Uh, I think I might have to skip a few of them down there because <laughs> I have something that way. I mentioned something uh, related, uh, perhaps to this. Either way, Torah study is gonna, is more effective than any one of these other ones. To bring in someone to fix their character. Yeah. Why? It's a, it's a good question. I it, it, that's all I got, really. Everything else here is from here on out, is, is my own thoughts, perhaps, in the matter. Um, I was thinking of a few different thoughts. Uh, number one... So, may I ask about this fixing the character?
1: Uh, now thinking, on the
0: fly. Go ahead. You uh, see,
1: trying to homogenize kind of us, making us all equal... At the end, if we fix our when we get angry, when we get, I mean, it, it seems like it. Do mm-hmm. we? I mean, it's the objective or the ideal that we all become equal? We that all mean, become
0: equal, uh, or or, or no. not? Whatever. <laughs> right. Uh, no, so I don't think equal. I don't think that's the right. Perspective. I mean,
1: some I of the. That... I mean, most of the things that you mentioned are. get I mean, so angry.
0: Some people are more inclined to this. If we, but if we all. Well, follow see. the sixteen
1: thirty one when all, the definitely here. Know,
0: but um, what do you mean all? Jews or, or people? Yeah, all Let's say all Jews. Okay. Well, why why all equal? Why 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 do you say better? Why say um, why do we we all become great? Yeah. Yes. They, right. What I'm, is I'm someone who looked, someone truth. who's perfected themselves? They're perfect person. They have like the Rambam tells us is the perfect balance. You know that they're 80, that they're 20. right. They no, 80, 20, <laughs> 80, 20 rule. More like the 90-10 rule. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but that's a great person. That's not someone who's just equal, or average. That's greatness. We, we equate that with greatness. You know that the Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, the great Jewish personality of the 19th century, he, he famously quipped that to change your, even one characteristic entirely, to totally change it is it's harder than to, than to study or it's easier, I'm sorry, it's harder than to study the entire Talmud. It's easier to study the entire Talmud, all 27 11 pages of Talmud than it is to fundamentally change one characteristic. when the, when the comes. Someone changes them all then, well that's that's a pretty remarkable <laughs> person.
2: When the Mashiach comes, it's gonna be as if every baby is born without being slapped.
0: So whoa, 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 where where was that come? Where did that come from? Well
2: I mean we're all gonna be, a, we'll all going my to be babies.
0: elevated, huh? Oh me don't uh dead. So I'm... there's
2: there's not gonna be an evil side for us to try to overcome anymore.
0: Well I I, I, I want to agree with you're saying technically. I know what you're saying is, is, is it's not when Mashiach comes. Mashiach comes, according, at least according to the Rambam, is no change. The the uh, however, there is the Talmud in Sukkot, which I assume you're referring to, 52a, it, it talks about La'asid Lava, which is a, yeah, totally, different, B, right? uh, yeah, it's a totally different uh, time period, which talks about the idea of the Ezra being slaughtered and everyone crying and why they crying and what they see. Someone looks like a mountain, someone looks like a strand up here, and everyone's crying. Yes, there is this idea, but I think when Mashiach comes, yeah, nothing's going to change. At least that's what uh, the overwhelming. So he could is. have come
2: in 2008.
0: Well, <laughs> there's going to be a certain.
2: He could have.
0: Is this, is this a joke? <laughs> <laughs> something?
1: Probably he has somebody in mind. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I mean, some Chabadnich. They, they thought that the
0: Reverend, the last one. He died in
1: 1994, so. 94? 93 or 94. 94. Ninety-four. 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 Oh, some so people
0: in see the the see the some that circle thought that think he's still alive. alive. Oh, you mean really? Yeah. yeah, there are those. Uh, I spoke to people. Yeah, I mean, I remember the alive and it coming back. I'm just trying to have no idea. I've heard that before. The alleged Messiah that dies is coming back. Either way, yeah, so.
2: you were saying about death?
0: Death? Yeah, yeah, that's a big mitzvah.
2: Because the person... you know,
0: And it's especially it's especially effective in character transformation because it's it's done with entirely pure motivations. Can you explain how that relates to the second Pesach? Second Pesach. <laughs> yes.
2: What about the second
0: Pesach? that were pure, so they had a second Pesach. Yeah. Oh, Oh, they were burying the dead. Well, when word the word temple word. is in existence and someone touches a dead person, they can't walk back in the temple. Right. They need to have a purification process, we get the red heifer and the ashes and the whatnot. That would preclude them from coming to, from coming in to go to the temple for the Passover so they had a to bring the So this. isn't that not pure motivation? They're like, oh,
1: they're complaining. And they're
0: well, the so, body. well, yeah, it's still a big mitzvah. You know, and it's it's it's, it's still a huge mitzvah to tend to the dead, dead people, even though it may invalidate someone from uh, from coming to the temple. Now, uh, a kohen, they they don't they don't go to funerals, or they don't go to, they may they go to funerals, but they don't go and come and talk to that person because they have a separate mitzvah not to come and tend to that people. But for us Israelites, unless Pesach is coming, or you know, we we don't need to be pure. You know, that's like, you why know, we, we, you know that's it's a big mitzvah. Uh, and I would also say, by the way, just once you brought us back to that topic, I think it's also very, uh, it's also very. When you come across death that, when you go to a house of mourning, that also I think would change you because it kind of makes you realize how transient this world is and how you could be here today and you'd be gone tomorrow. And, you could, you know, and who knows? You know, who knows which one of us? Who knows if we're all going to last out the week? We, we hope so. We assume so, right? But we don't know, right? And. Death sometimes, unfortunately, is very shocking. And it's very jarring. Uh, and it makes us realize something, which is, I think, a very important realization, that we're here. We're here to work, and we're here to accomplish, and we're here to change our lives, and change the lives of people around us, become great people, and do good. And not to get complacent, because we could be plucked out of this arena any second, any day, any minute. We don't know. No. And, uh, and that's And that is a very important thought, And maybe when you bury the dead, maybe you'll think about that. Maybe that'll help you also change your life. Another thought. Um, Either way, so the Torah is more effective than any of this to try to make us uh, uh, change our character. So I said uh, the right now this is theory. I theorize why, uh, perhaps because uh, the Torah, the Talmud, study of Torah brings us to action. Thus, the Torah is kind of a gateway to all the other things. Wherein, if you just do something, you're an expert at honoring your parents or at burying the dead, or right, then you're kind of that's what you have, that's what you got. As opposed to when you have Torah, you have everything, because the Torah teaches you about these things. You study Torah and you study this Mishnah, oh, wow, and you open up your, you know, you you expand your activities to include all these other things. Thus, essentially, it's kind of the you know the the, the be all end all. It's the it's the it's the magic pill which brings you to everything. That was one thing that I had. Or additionally, I thought maybe it was study Torah it demands self-control you know to sit down and study Torah and it's your mind's racing and you got to focus and all the things are popping into your head and you have to kind of zone in well that's a hard thing to do and that uh, that work to control yourself well controlling yourself is one of the another gateway characteristic to all good You know everything that someone the the Dominion of the eightura that we talked about this mountain that that was on top of us, right? That is controlling us. And that's why we said that, maybe you know, this idea of someone not being free. When we gain the control back, so to speak, then we are open to make our own decisions. And we have the control. And study tower demands self-control more than anything else. And that maybe that would bring us uh, to all these other qualities. These are the thoughts that I've had Um Perhaps another So next fault.
1: class, we go from 11 to
0: 20. we go to multiple worlds
1: yet? That's the one that we need to... Yeah, that's, time. That, that's, create that's new the one.
0: That's the one, create new worlds. we got enough problems <laughs> with our world. Uh, and this is the seventh? Either way... Oh, I'm sorry? This is the seventh? This is the eleventh. Eleventh? Can't believe I only got... Well, I think it's, know, this, the seventh universe that oh, God created. Oh, uh, I don't know. I'm happy with whatever I have. <laughs> All I know is what I have. Either way, uh, these are some nice thoughts, I think, for us. Uh, to once again gain an appreciation for Torah study and the remarkable impact that it can have on our lives uh, and to not view it, God forbid, as being something historical or something ancient, something arcane or something archaic or something esoteric or something maybe relegated to the libraries and to the scholars, something that could be very relevant to us in the multitude of different areas of our lives. Uh, Therefore, you know, we should maybe try to uh, once we have that realization, you know, we can maybe seize more opportunities, or at least when we do have the study, uh, to, to, to have a greater appreciation of, of what that does for us as individuals. Okay, amen, yeah. Thank you, Roland. Thank you all. And I guess if you guys want, next week we can continue. I, don't know if maybe... I have so Thank much, you. I have
2: so many more <laughs>